your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to the Friday, finally, of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to get in here and vent about anything, you've got like five minutes. So do it now because I'm not going to listen to you after this. No, I'm just kidding. I will listen to your, t- I will listen. I will read your text after this. Um, Dr. Anthony Tregoski is going to join me. And we've got so many things to, to break down. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get through them all, but hopefully we do. Uh, one of the main things is he's going to be a moderator for a bunch of debates coming up. The first one's coming up Monday. Jill Billings versus Jerome Gunderson, 12.45 p.m. Monday, 95th Assembly. Brad Williams will be in on that. Uh, it's going to be Tregoski moderating questions from panel of reporters. Like I said, including Wisdom's Brad Williams. I didn't get the I didn't get the nomination there. No, I I I said Brad needs to do that. He's he's got uh, more experience than me. <laughs> uh, after that, Wednesday, Steve Doyle versus Leroy Brown versus Kevin Hoyer. I feel like when Leroy, if if we were doing this, you know, if we're we're doing this like a baseball game, Leroy Brown's got to come out to bad bad Leroy Brown, right? Like he's got to come out when they introduce him. He's the baddest man in the whole. <laughs> um, that one's also at 1245. That's on Wednesday. And then jump to f- next Friday, right? Next Friday. Yep. Next Friday, uh, 96th Assembly. So Steve Doyle, 9 to 4th Assembly incumbent there. Uh, so next Friday, 96th Assembly. Lauren Oldenburg versus Josephine Janes. That's at 930 in the morning on Friday. And then... On Tuesday, October 20th, Dan Kapenke versus Brad Paff in that open seat that Jill Billings, Jill Billings? No, Jennifer Schilling gave up. Uh, 32nd Senate District. Tuesday, October 20th. That one's at 3.30 p.m. And then the last one is a congressional district, the 3rd Congressional, Ron Kind versus Derek Van Orden. Wednesday, October 28th at 12.45 p.m. So those are the, the debates, and, and we could talk with Chagoski about how, how, how are we going to do that? How is that going to happen? And um, what should we ask, you know, people like Steve Doyle, Leroy Brown, Kevin Hoyer, you know, I, I have a lot of questions when it comes to the Wisconsin State Legislature, legislative candidates because I don't really know what they're doing. The ones that are in office right now and the ones that want to run for office, (laughs) you know, the ones that are trying to run can just go, yeah, we're going to do stuff because uh, it doesn't appear. The only thing that appears that the uh, legislature does is go after Governor Evers (laughs) for whatever he's trying to do. Governor Evers won the election. We're going to meet in special session and repeal some of his powers. And then uh, a pandemic hits. A pandemic hits. We're not going to meet in, since April. <laughs> like, what? What's going on? So, uh, yeah, we could talk to Chagoski about that. Um, maybe talk about the vice presidential debate a little bit, but I don't think we're going to get too in-depth on that since I didn't watch it. <laughs> I only read about it, and, you know, the, the the all anyone takes from the stupid debate is that there was a fly on Mike Pence's head for multiple minutes. Mike Pence appeared to have pink eye and Kamala Harris, you know, gave him 
dirty looks <laughs> because that's that's what we focus on. It doesn't make any sense. So why are we doing these things if that's what we're going to focus on? Maybe there should be debates just on the radio so we can't see. If we couldn't see any of those things, then we would actually maybe listen to what they had to say as opposed to what they, you know, what what we had to see. But what they had to say, right, wasn't a whole lot. And that's what Chergoski and I were kind of talking about before the show. And I was like, mm, maybe it's not as exciting to talk about. So we'll let Rick rant about it for a couple of minutes here. Um, Michigan governor was almost abducted or there was a plot to abduct the Michigan governor. Should we talk about that a little bit? That seems a little strange. Uh, they've arrested a whole bunch of people in that. <laughs> and it's it sounds like they wanted to bring her to Wisconsin. Uh, so that that's weird. <laughs> and the idea that we call these people militia, right? Like, I don't get it. Like, we call a bunch of white dudes that carry giant guns around openly, right? Open, whatever you want, however you want to describe that, where it's legal and they just carry guns around and intimidate people or try to intimidate people. We call those militia members. But when, uh, when it's a different type of person, not a white person, uh, those people are called gangs. (laughs) Like that's kind of a weird thing. Um, all right. So those are a couple of things that we're going to talk about. I feel like there was one more. Oh, and then just Donald Trump in general his health. Does he seem healthy? Um, he's got a, he's got a lot of policies going on right now. So, uh, well, a lot of a lot of different policies on the same issue. So, th- th- when it comes to uh, the stimulus package, right, um, seems to be seems to be a little out of sorts. Also, he doesn't have time to de- to debate virtually. But wasn't he on? Was he on Rush Limbaugh for like two hours today? Isn't that kind of virtual? It's not like he's in studio with Rush. And then he was on Fox Business, I think, yesterday for fifty five minutes. Isn't that virtual? I feel like you got if you don't have enough time to virtual debate, but you can be on the phone with all these news organizations and uh, blowhard talk show hosts like myself. Anyway, maybe he's got time for Lacrosse Talk PM if he's got all this time. Um, all right, we're gonna get to Brad in the news. I will mention. Well, I'll let Brad mention it. He's got it on the news. Uh, we'll be back after this with Dr. Anthony Chagoski. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914 is the text line. It's no longer the talk line. I'm not bringing on anyone else. Uh, Dr. Anthony Chagoski is on the air with me. Um, how's it going? It's Friday. It's, it's going great, Rick, and I'm just glad to be doing something today besides grading quizzes. So I'm just glad to be on with you for that reason. Oh, my God. Somebody just texted in uh, 5,000 words. They copy-pasted something. It's 5,000 words. Good luck, um, texter. I'm not reading this. Like, what are you... Like, <laughs> um, I, I, it's going to be tough. I guess they wanted me to just look at it later. I think that's what's going on. Um, all right. So I kind of broke down some of the things we want to talk about. The, the, the debates that you are, are hosting or moderating, whatever you want to call that. Um, do you have your mute button ready? <laughs> yeah, you know, Rick, having watched the debates that have gone on and the fact that these have to be distance debates so the candidates will not physically be in the same place, I'll just be in my office at UWL to moderate these debates. 
And so we will be able to control kind of the timing and we'll be able to control kind of the candidates adherence to the rules. And I think that's all for the best. I mean, I know that it would be nice if we could have a more traditional debate format with all the candidates kind of in the same space where they can uh, interact with each other. We can see their expressions, their reactions, all of that good stuff. Yeah, and then but maybe, also, and then maybe it's just having a to do on Zoom, Rick. I mean, you know, people will talk over each other, and it'll just be a disaster. So it'll be a pretty tight ship. Yeah, kind of like me, when me and you are on the phone and we talk over each other. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the, the the crowd won't be able to throw tomatoes at candidates for terrible answers. <laughs> yeah, no ans- no audience for the debate aside from everyone watching online. And I should note, Rick, that if you cannot watch live, it will be made available on demand, the full videos. Yes, and definitely we'll be able to. Well, people people be able to like send questions in at this point for the you know the first one's Monday, so there won't be a whole lot of time. Or or are we just are we just relying on the panelists. We're relying on the panelists, Rick, uh, including the very distinguished Brad Williams for the debate next Monday. And we also have uh, a number of other media panelists taking part. So uh, they'll be asking the questions. I'll be kind of steering the ship as we go. And looking forward to five excellent debates as we go throughout the next three weeks or so. And, and when, you, when you do these debates, did you, did you watch the vice president debate? The, the, I mean, you've watched your fair share of ba- debates. Did you have in your head how you wanted to conduct it beforehand? As, and has anything changed since, you know, you watched a disaster presidential debate and a, maybe a little bit different vice presidential debate? Yeah, you know, I think that we need to kind of keep candidates on task the best we can, though, honestly, if the candidates don't want to answer the question, we can't really force them to. I mean, we can follow up with them and try to press them. But I mean, if a candidate doesn't want to ask answer a question, they don't have to. And Rick, I got to tell you, I mean, that really came to mind after the vice presidential debate. I mean, if you want to find a master class in how to dodge questions, I don't know that either of those candidates answered a single question directly the whole debate. I mean, like every question was being dodged and the moderator, you know, didn't really press them on that. Yeah, from what I read, the the moderator in the first debate, you know, didn't shut Trump up or didn't shut didn't stop the interruptions. The moderator in the second debate did a better job of that, but didn't make them answer the question. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like uh, the vice presidential debate moderator loses when you when you don't get the candidates to answer. But then again, um, I'm a grown up and I'm trying to get a grown up to answer a question. It's a very odd thing to do. And you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, Rick, and I am disappointed in some of the questions from the vice presidential debate not being answered. There's a particularly important one that both candidates just completely dodged, and that had to do with what they would have, what 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 would unfold in the event that the president, whether it's Biden or Trump, what would happen if the president became unable to fulfill the duties of the office and what would transpire with respect to the vice president in that scenario? I mean, that's an incredibly important question because we have a 74-year-old president. We have Joe Biden, who would be 78 on Inauguration Day. 
And it was a real shame that we didn't learn more about, like, what would happen in the event that the president was unable to carry out his duties. Isn't, so, isn't Mike, like, it was, isn't Mike Pence's answer the easiest ever? I take over and I do everything I can to stay in office, to stay healthy, because I won't let Nancy Pelosi take over if I go down. Yeah. I mean, that's the incredibly weird thing about the line of succession is that after Vice President Pence, you have Democrat Nancy Pelosi, and then you have Charles Grassley, who I believe is 87 years old. Nancy's 80. So, (laughs) So, you know, all of this should turn out just fine if, if the unthinkable happens. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a weird thing to answer, too, but like it may, it may be pretty easy. Like, I will just continue to run the, the, the whatever party party's, you know, ideals and, and try to do what's best for the American people. Like, I can do this job, Trigoski. Well, exactly, Rick. I mean, like, it was a pretty easy question to answer. I think neither candidate wanted to draw attention to sort of the health and age status of the top of the ticket. You know, Trump with COVID-19 in his mid-70s, Biden in his late 70s. I think they were trying to sort of dance around those topics a little bit. But like you said, I mean, you could have just answered that question exactly as you did, and it would have been fine. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So, okay, so that's that's the vice presidential debate. And I said beforehand I didn't watch it because I was at Chuck E. Cheese and I wasn't there on him um, as a in my for my own time. There was actually a shooting there, so I, w- I didn't get able. To, I wasn't able to watch the debate. Um, but but the uh, the idea that you know having these debates and now you're the moderator. Um, do you do you what what I was going into this just thinking about, and I've had a couple of candidates on, and it's always kind of a struggle. You know, when you're interviewing Kapanki and Paff, neither of them are in the legislature. So it's a little easier to just just talk about like, hey, what are you going to do? Because it doesn't appear that they're doing anything. Um, and I and I made that joke that it doesn't. And Main Street guy texted in. And he goes, if you don't know what the state politicians are doing and uh, you gleaned over the vice presidential debate, why do you want to keep doing this work? And I'm just make, more or less making a statement that it doesn't appear that the Wisconsin state legislature is doing much of anything. I don't know what they're doing because I look at what's going on, and I'm like, you guys haven't met since April. I think it's April, right? Is it April? And, and like, what's going on? What does the state legislature do, Trigoski? Well, Rick, there's evidence to back up what you're saying about the relative inaction of the Wisconsin state legislature. So out of all of the state legislative bodies in the country that are considered full-time, so they're on the job full-time, out of all of those, Wisconsin is by far the least active state legislative body. In fact, in these other states that have full-time legislatures, they have met on average 18 times as much as Wisconsin state legislature has since Tony Evers declared a public health emergency in March. So, I mean, I mean, just look at the statistics and compare Wisconsin with other similar legislatures, and there's no other conclusion to draw but that Wisconsin state legislature has been not very active. Yeah, not very active would be an understatement, I think. Um, but they, they, they were very active uh, when Governor Evers was elected. Real quick, they had to pass all kinds of legislation. 
Well, that's right, Rick, with that special session. And, you know, they've really duked it out with Governor Evers, but especially in the courts. And we're seeing that right now with the mask mandate as that makes its way through the courts. And this is a thorny issue for the Republicans in the state legislature, because according to the latest uh, Marquette University law poll that came out just earlier this week, 72 percent of Wisconsin voters say that masks should be required in public places. So to be suing Governor Evers might be consistent with some kind of philosophical view that they have, but it is definitely on the wrong side of public opinion. All right, we're speaking with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski. So, do you, do you you you're not going to answer, you're not going to ask any questions, right? It's just going to be the uh, the panelists. I'll have a couple, uh, but the main attraction will be our media panelists. Okay, and I don't want to spoil any of the questions. I'd really love to know, like, what are you going to ask them? Because, uh, but then they'll be they'll be able to prepare. But um, yeah, the only the only person I've had on that's in the legislature is is I've had Steve Doyle on, but that was to talk about the thirty second session on police billing that they gaveled in and gaveled out of, and you know he wasn't happy about that either. But the idea that we can't be in session and just debate anything like I, I just don't understand so well again just look at the statistics and wisconsin badly trails its similar state legislatures around the country in, in terms of its activity and so that that's fair game for criticism because that represents a political choice that has been made by the leaders of the legislature yeah, and they're a full-time le- legislature. Minnesota is a part-time legislature, and I think you know this, but Minnesota is the only split legislature in the country right now. And it, you know that might change uh, come November, but it, it, I, I feel like they get they get some stuff done. They're they're obviously going to fight. Um, is that dangerous to just have to have like a whole state just leaning one way or the other? It doesn't. It seem, but if you look federally, the Senate and the House don't seem to be getting anything done. So. Is it smart to have a? Is it better to have a split legislature where one side's Republican, one side's Democrat, or do you think it works better the, the other way? Well, Rick, in a perfect world, I would say that it would be nice to have a split control of government because then you bring people to the negotiating table and you try to reach a compromise, and hopefully, by doing that, you can arrive at public policies that are acceptable to a wide range of people, not just people who belong to one party or the other. But in this era of hyperpartisanship and polarization, I hesitate really when it comes to this issue of divided government. I mean, with the parties just going at each other and the parties so divided and the vicious conflict between the two parties in a way that hasn't been the case you know, three decades ago, four decades ago, five decades ago, because of that, then, you know, you have to take that into account if you're wondering, you know, well, what are the implications of split control of government? I mean, practically speaking, it just means that things kind of grind to a halt. Yeah, we need to know less about our state legislature instead of, uh, you know, where they're at. And by, what I mean by this is, is it's kind of a weird thing to say, but um, a couple of days ago I had Eric Timmons. Maybe it was yesterday. It might, no, uh, it was Wednesday. I had Eric Timmons. He's the editor of the Lacrosse Independent on. So that's called the Lacrosse Independent. And we, we were talking for quite some time. And then a caller called in and asked him which way he leaned. 
And up until then, it was a pretty pretty decent conversation about about everything that's going on in the city government and how we could better allocate funds and, and maybe take a portion of the city budget and give it to the people and let the people decide through a vote on, on how to spend city money. Uh, then he told everyone how which way he leaned, and then nobody wanted to listen to it. Like, then the text all, rah, 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 like, I can't believe this guy. <laughs> so it, it just turned into garbage after that in terms of the – to the text line, the conversation between me and him was still fine, but uh, you know, it was it was kind of funny because oh, now you all know which way he's which side of the aisle he's on. Now half the people aren't going to like him, the other half people are going to love him. Well, that's exactly it, Rick. When it comes to this hyperpartisan era, I mean, people are just unwilling to entertain the ideas from the other side, and that's a perfect example. I mean, people are willing to listen to this dude, but. After they hear which side he leans on, they completely view him as like unreasonable and a threat to the nation and a threat to lacrosse and a threat <laughs> to our way of life. And and people's attitude just completely changes once you know like which party you belong to. And if that doesn't tell you what an awful spot we're in when it comes to this just partisan nonsense, I mean, that is a dynamite example. So, and that's where I'm, what I'm getting at is if we knew less about our state legislature, which way they leaned, and we just listened to what they had to say, it works that way with uh, the city government, right? Like, we don't know, you know, maybe if we really dug in and, and listened to them and, and quizzed them and sent them emails about where, where they stand on certain issues, as opposed to just asking them if they're Democrat or Republican, um, it, it works just so much better at the, at the city level. And, and, Rick, that's because party leaders in legislatures put tremendous pressure on their members to toe the party line. And this has come up in a lot of interviews that I've done with state legislatures and, and research that I've done. There is a premium placed on party discipline and party unity among party leaders. And they do not look kindly to legislators who tend to have an independent streak or who aren't willing to toe the party line. So, you know, it basically, it, you know, instead of the situation that you have in like a nonpartisan city government, you basically have just like two teams that are fighting each other and that, you know, no one's willing to buck their party because they're concerned about, you know, could they face punishment from their party leaders? Could they face blowback from the party activists? No one wants to uh, deviate from the party line line because they're so scared about that in this just incredibly partisan era. All right. Dr. Anthony Kuchagoski, he's going to continue with us, but we got to get to Scott's comment. The news coming up in just a minute. We'll be back after this on Wisdom. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Dr. Anthony Chagoski is joining me. But before I get to that, I just I want to update something that, that just happened here in the in the I don't know when it happened because there's no timeline for this, but a second person today has died from COVID-19, a second LaCrosse County resident. Uh, it's the fifth death in the past five days. There were no deaths yesterday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and two today. That makes five. Uh, and it's the 10th person overall that has died from the virus. Oh, and eight, eight out of those 10 people have died in the past 14 days. Um, no other information is provided on that Cooley COVID-19 collaborative dashboard hospitalizations of county residents went up by three from 97 to 100 um, in the last day. But we also don't know from that dashboard whether or not uh, there were three more hospitalizations or if a couple of people went out of the hospital. 
and and a couple of people went in, into the hospital. The way the the virus is working statewide, um, we've had the top four days or four out of the past five days. Yeah, the the, the highest hospitalization. So. More people have gone into the hospital in the last four days than ever before in the state. Four of the, four of the five days. So um, I'm, I'm fumbling through that. But uh, we had three over 3,000 cases yesterday in the state and and ton, like over 100 hospitalizations. Today we're at three, nearly 3,000 and 138 hospitalizations. And it just reminds me, um, back on October 1st, this was La Crosse County Democratic or La Crosse County Republican chair uh about the virus and this is just it's, it's kind of this divide that we have we've made a virus political and and now that you know we've had eight deaths in the past two weeks and five this week already at some point here we have to acknowledge that this disease is not a deadly disease very few people succumb to it and when are we going to start to calculate the cost of children who aren't progressing in their education and businesses, significant-sized businesses in our community uh, that are struggling uh, on the, the brink of insolvency. That was La Crosse County Republican Party Chair Bill Fian. Just, uh, again, the, the, the idea that the virus isn't deadly, and now it's, you know, killed a whole bunch of people in the last week. Five people, I guess. Is that a whole bunch or not? You know, you want to determine whether or not it's not. And up until today, I know everybody that's died is 60 or over. So one person was 60. I think uh, three or four people were 70 and three or four people were 80. So, um, but yeah, that we've, uh, this is part of our problem, I think, is we've made the, the virus political. Trigoski, is, is that kind of part of the problem here in that we can't fight this thing because we, we have two sides to it? I think it is, Rick, that there is that like everything and anything in the United States can become a symbol of the great divide, like a mask, for example. I mean, the mask is probably the best example of just how anything can be wrapped into that huge divide between the two parties. And Rick, you mentioned that the people who have passed away recently have been older. That made me consider the fact that Biden has shown surprising strength when you look at his poll numbers among the elderly population. Now, it's important because that first wasn't entirely expected. We thought that the Democrat might struggle a little bit more with the elderly population. But secondly, we know that what do the elderly people do? They vote and they vote at high rates. So, the coronavirus seems to be a very devastating thing, particularly for the elderly, and that is absolutely having political ramifications in this election. And I, I have the numbers now. I don't know the ages of the two people that died today, but the there are two females in their 80s, three males in their 80s, one male in his 60s, and two males in their 70s. That's That's the demographic of people that that have died from COVID-19 up until today. And if you want to make this uh, a political thing, uh, also on the text line, you don't know that they died from COVID or, or with COVID. So we've made, you know, we've made that people dying sooner than they've had to, because they've contracted an unknown virus to this point. We've made that a thing too. We're not going to believe uh, people in the hospitals that are dying of COVID-19 because 
I don't know why. I don't know why that's why is that a thing? <laughs> Can you even put your finger on that one? <laughs> well, look, Rick. I mean, people want to view the world in a way that advantages their party. You know, if you are a Republican, you want to see the world through a red set of sunglasses, and if you're a Democrat, you want to see the world through a blue set of sunglasses. We have really good evidence that people view objective facts completely differently depending on if they are a Democrat or a Republican. You know, like if the unemployment rate is going down and it's a Democratic president, a Republican will say the unemployment rate's going up and vice versa. So not only do we have people who are disagreeing, but what concerns me, Rick, is that we are more and more unable to agree on just what the underlying facts are. And that really gets to your point about, you know, the, the, the numbers uh, and the, the death count and, you know, the accuracy of that. I mean, we can't even agree on that as a country. And that is yet another symbol of the great divide in this nation. The same person that decided that these people have died either with or without COVID were lying about that. He said it's called thinning the herd. Get over it. So, or she, it could be a she, I don't know. Um, also, Chagoski, you're getting uh, you're getting called names here from uh, from Phil, who doesn't know your name. He's calling you Trubisky, which sounds a little bit like Mitchell Trubisky, the Chicago Bears quarterback, which is a very do, big do insult. Do not associate me with Mitch Trubisky. Come on, <laughs> who got benched for Nick Foles, and then uh, somebody exactly. else, and then somebody else is on here saying that we've quoted you at the 4:30 news break. Um, about Senator Harris' inaccuracy about Abraham Lincoln. But that's not you. That's the UW-Madison political science professor that was on with Mike Hayes this morning. Um, so people, you need maybe just listen a little bit closer to who is talking because that person doesn't sound like Chagoski at all. And uh, he's from UW-Madison, and Chagoski's at UW-Lacrosse. So, um, and as, I'll, and I'll as just... a result, that dude is getting paid way more than I do. Oh, is, is that how that works? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in one in yeah. one regard, you know what? Mitchell Trubisky's getting paid way more than you, and you don't want to be him. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to find. Uh, I know I read this. Uh, where where did it go? I know I read this person, but now it's not going to be very good radio. Oh, more debates. Uh, Ryan Owens at UW Madison. I don't know if you know all polit- do all political science professors in the UW system know each other because this guy's name is Ryan Owens. Yeah, pretty much. I, I know of I know of Ryan. I'll put it that way. Okay. So, um, all right. Speaking of, you know, COVID, the president last week got COVID. We brought you on too early because if we would have brought you on later, I think we could have talked about a lot of other things, including like the presidential debates being canceled. And then I guess the president got, yeah, no, he got COVID th- like Thursday night, right? So if we would have brought you on last Friday, it would have been kind of a interesting topic to talk about. But since then, um, the president, you know, he's kind of all over the place and it's got Nancy Pelosi talking 25th amendment, which somebody texted in. I don't know why they did this, but they said, Trigoski, read the 25th amendment. It's in plain English. Um, how, how, how savvy are you with reading the 25th amendment? Uh, I, I am capable of reading the text of the constitution, Rick. Uh, so I'm not sure what that's person is talking about and he said it's in plain english but uh, i think nancy pelosi's talking about that and and the idea that trump's maybe not quite all that healthy uh some say the drugs he is on is going to make is is going to mess with his head a little bit which uh is perfectly fine because you're trying to recover from a deadly virus and you're in that age bracket and that weight bracket where you don't want to be to to contracting this virus so um but in the last two days he's had kind of a lot of policy switches in terms of uh stimulus package where are we now on that 
Well, Rick, it's a very much a moving target. You know, Steve Mnuchin, the Secretary of the Treasury, and Nancy Pelosi had been sort of working under the radar for a while to see if a deal could be reached on another big stimulus package. But then two days ago, Donald Trump tweeted and said that he has called off negotiations between that were going on between Mnuchin and Pelosi. Then he changed his tune and said that we should have kind of instead of like a big stimulus bill, we should have a series of standalone bills. So a bill to cut another $1,200 check to people or a bill to bail out the airlines or, or whatnot. And then from there, this morning, it was reported that the White House was about actually interested in a major stimulus bill again, and that the two sides were about $400 billion apart. Pelosi was at $2.2 trillion. Trump was willing to go up to $1.8 trillion. And then on the Rush Limbaugh show, Trump said that he actually even wants a bigger stimulus bill than the Democrats or the Republicans could come up with. So the stimulus negotiations are in chaos, to put it mildly. But negotiating through Twitter and through uh, talk radio. So we're, we're right there. We're going to get it done. I mean, Congress can meet uh, maybe on Hannity tonight on Fox News and we can we can hash it out. <laughs> well, that's the that's the problem of, you know, trying to make a deal with this White House, because at any moment, Trump could tweet something or say something that really throws a curveball into the negotiations. I guess the so House, the that, House that, that is really complicated matter. I guess the House would negotiate on like Rachel Maddow's show tonight. Right. And then the <laughs> Senate, the Senate would be on Hannity. They should actually go on the other. They should actually go on the opposite show, because I think they just get challenged like Bernie Sanders does this. Right. When he was campaigning, he would go on Fox and then people would be like, oh, he's good. You know, like, I can't believe he went on Fox. But it always turns out so much better when when uh, the other side goes to the, you know, the other leaning news organization, I guess. Yeah, you do see that. And there were some viral clips of Pete Buttigieg, the former Democratic presidential candidate on Fox News that went viral, uh, basically going, let's just say, going after Mike Pence in pretty brutal terms uh, that, that went viral. And so that does seem to be an effective tactic. You have to respect Trump, uh, you know, the other day when he said, hey, we're not going to we're done with the stimulus. We're not going to pass it. We're going to focus entirely on uh, the 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 candidacy of, to the Supreme Court, whatever you want to call it, the nomination to the Supreme Court. We're going to do all we can to get her nominated and get her through, and we're not going to worry about the American people's stimulus package. Um, do you think somebody got to him and said, "Do you realize you tweeted this?" And then, like most of the country is probably going to disagree with the idea that we're not going to get any help for you know on this. We're, there's not going to be any movement on it. Rick, I think there's no question that it was a uh, that it was a political misstep by Donald Trump, you know, because to say that you're giving up on the stimulus before the election is not the best closing argument to make to voters. Then again, I mean, Amy Coney Barrett, they still are, you know, really pushing to get Amy Coney Barrett confirmed as soon as possible. But what has changed, Rick, obviously, is that this election is about COVID 
period. And, you know, Republicans were kind of hoping to change the conversation a little bit, certainly over the summer with their law and order message and then with this Amy Coney Barrett nomination. But once Donald Trump came down with the coronavirus, and as we've seen that play out, it is clear that the coronavirus will be the defining issue of this election. How fast can he invoke, uh, you know, can he get his health care plan that he has been keeping secret uh, passed? Can we pass that before the election? Because it sounds like now he just wants to give all the the $100,000 worth of drugs that he was taking, uh, you know, free to everybody. Yeah, yeah, Rick. And, you know, I think that he has been not very effective in preventing the in kind of taking that issue away from the Democrats. I mean, that was the Democratic Party's bread and butter in the 2018 midterms. They absolutely hammered the Republicans on health care, and they're ready to do it again as far as protections for pre-existing conditions go. The Democrats see that as a huge edge that they have. And so I think Democrats are, are happy to have any conversation about health care. That is not favorable terrain for this president. Yeah. And then the idea that we have this virus and everyone, you know, a lot of people are going to the hospital to, to fight this virus. And, you know, everyone's deductible is, you know, pretty awful. So I, I, I just don't understand why that's not the key phrase. I, oh, we got to protect pre-existing conditions. Sure. But also, you know, maybe we should get rid of these terrible health care plans uh, where the deductibles are five billion dollars. Uh, Chagoski, that's all the time I got. Uh, we'll, we'll hear from you on Monday, huh, with the, with the first debate. Yeah, be sure to tune in or catch it live, uh, catch it on demand if you can't watch it live. Yeah, it'd be Jill Billings, the incumbent, and Jerome Gunderson, twelve forty-five Monday. Uh, it, yeah, it'd be nice to do this in person because then if you instead of having a mute button, I think you could throw a cheese like a cheese brick at at each person uh, just to stick with like a Wisconsin theme. Rick, why aren't you doing this for yeah, with them? Why, I don't know. why can't you be part of these debates? If nothing else, I could throw the brick for you. Because I don't know, you know, I don't know about you in sports. You're you're good, Rick. You you can you can you can do that. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We're gonna be back in a minute to wrap up on wisdom. Finish out the week with Buster Rhymes. Uh, Phil text in. Trump wants what Rick wants. Standalone bills. Yes, that's exactly what I want. Uh, sending out a twelve hundred dollar check a couple months ago. Each month would have been a great thing to, to do. Uh, handing out a $1,200 check less than a month from the election seems like a pretty obvious thing to do uh, if you want to just give people money to vote for you. <laughs> At this point, I don't know. I don't know. The standalone bill, it just looks bad. But, you know, everyone can claim victory, right? Like, hey, Congress passed the standalone bill to give everyone $1,200. Vote for us. Senate, we passed the standalone bill to give everyone $1,200. Vote for us. Trump, I made it happen. Vote for me. Um, Just not sure it works like that. Joe said, except Trump doesn't pass the stimulus package, and the Dems are the ones adding bleep that doesn't involve stimulus. So, yeah, everyone's doing that. At one point, the Senate was adding uh, money to the Pentagon for Joe. So there's that. All right, thanks for listening. We'll be out. We'll be back Monday.